Welcome to Psalm Sketches. This is the episode for Psalm 21. It's great to have you here with me today listening to some thoughts and a quick uh, musical reflection on Psalm 21. Let's begin with our musical reflection today. In your strong arms, this real cowards are will hide. To prison and serenity, I will patiently abide for. I will be glad. I will be glad in your Among the Psalms of David, Psalm 21 is one of the most uh, jubilant. David is clearly expressing a lot of um, confidence in God's protection and blessing over his life and his experience here. This is a um, uh, kind of uncharacteristic for a lot of the Psalms of David. Uh, some people have told me that they find the Psalms to be kind of depressing to read. And uh, when I was growing up, I remember hearing some scholars and some thinkers about the Bible argue that perhaps David had some sort of emotional imbalances in his life, uh, that he had been maybe uh, traumatized or wounded in some way that caused him to express so many negative things in his work. I've come to believe over the years that that is probably not the case. And one of the uh, reasons I came to that conclusion was after spending a lot of time studying poetry. We tend to compose poetry. A person finds it uh, difficult to express the emotion they feel without using uh, something a little bit more mysterious, more playful and creative. Uh, and of course, the craft of poetry allows for that. And so uh, that is something that I think we see in David. I think he's not like sitting down for 20 days in a row and writing out 20 uh, kind of depressing, morose psalms. I think these poems, uh, by and large, express different, uh, as I've said before, different postures of the human heart and of our thinking when we encounter things that are both jubilant in life and things which are challenging, uh, even heartbreaking. And so Psalm 21 is one of the more uplifting psalms. Uh, and as you might have noticed from the reflection I performed uh, a few moments ago, that this is a psalm that I think uh, hones in on the idea of God's presence, which is interesting given the historical context and the personal story um, uh, behind David's life. 
Let me read the psalm first. This is in the ESV translation. Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, Though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. As I said earlier, this psalm is is a uh, surprisingly optimistic one. David here feels a great deal of confidence that God is protecting him, that God has his back, even though he makes it clear that he faces enemies. Now, it's hard to tell from the context of this poem, and particularly from the language of the poem, whether the psalm is referring to a a particular encounter with enemies in David's uh, rule as king, or whether it was before his tenure as king. Uh, We don't know if these are uh, political enemies, social enemies. Uh, or simply a broad reference to anyone who opposed the nation of Israel that David led as king. And so uh, we will talk about the the poem kind of in two pieces. First, I want to talk about this idea of um, being glad in God's presence, which is the one that really captured my interest as I read the psalm. And that's kind of where that reflection I performed came from. And then, of course, the second piece is to talk a little bit about David's approach to enemies, something that you can't avoid in the Psalms since he addresses his enemies frequently and addresses God on the subject of enemies. Because of Jesus' words uh, about how we are to love and forgive our enemies, many Christians today don't have, I think, a good or healthy theology of dealing with enemies. We sort of assume that we're just supposed to pretend we don't have enemies, and if we do, uh, don't experience any angst or any frustration with the enemies that enter your life. But I don't think that is what the scripture teaches, at least through the Psalms of David. I think we see uh, both the idea of forgiveness and mercy, especially in David's actions uh, as recorded in other parts of the Old Testament scriptures. But we also see that David uh, uses his fear, his frustration, and his anger towards enemies as a way of channeling his focus back to the God who put him in a situation where he must combat enemies. But first, the idea of presence. It's interesting that in uh, this verse here, verse 6, David describes his blessing from God as being linked to the joy of God's presence. 
Today, you often hear religious types, uh, whether Christians or, or other types of religious people, talk about the presence of God. Uh, and it's always described in mysterious terms. We felt God's presence in the room. God seemed to be present uh, when my loved one passed away, uh, when we met to worship and we were singing, God's presence was felt. Now, I've done worship leading for years uh, in, a, in a small church, and I, it's been hard for me to talk that way about God's presence. I inherited that same cliche in the way I led. I am very guilty of saying, uh, today, let's invite God's presence into the room, or uh, we're here gathered today in God's presence, when in fact, the scriptures teach that God is everywhere. David in other Psalms describes God as being everywhere, including the grave with those who have died. And he says, you know, if I go up to the heights, if I go down to the depths, you are always there. David recognized that God's presence was not limited to one location. Of course, God's symbolic presence was over the tabernacle uh, because David uh, did not build a temple. Remember his son uh, Solomon in the scriptures built the temple. In fact, God very specifically uh, prohibited David from building the temple due to uh, violent actions in his past. But we know that the presence of God was symbolically present over the tabernacle, over the, uh, the Holy of Holies, that only the priest could enter, the high priest. And so when David talks about God's presence here, it's interesting that he doesn't refer in every one of these Psalms to that symbolic presence, uh, to God's presence in the, uh, the symbols and the artifacts within um, the tabernacle. In this case, he's talking about a broader understanding of God's presence. And we know that, of course, David, when he writes inspired scripture, including these Psalms here, that he is experiencing God's Holy Spirit moving in his life to record teachings that are inspired by God to motivate other people of God to better follow him, to better uh, uh, imitate God's perspective on the world, to live out God's desire in our relationships and in our work and in our personal thoughts. So David here seems to be talking about God's presence and the broader sense, his universal presence, and perhaps to some degree uh, in his manifest presence in David's life. David, perhaps more than other uh, Israelites at the time, other Jews who followed uh, God's commands and his law, would have felt God's presence in a particularly personal uh, and, and uh, immediate and imminent way. So what do we make of the concept of God's presence. Remember, when we look at these Psalms, my goal is to try to identify what uh, is the personal context that David is writing out of, okay? Without all the specifics, what is he experiencing, broadly speaking? How does he feel about it? And then how does he in some way uh, um, align his feelings with the way a person inspired by God and following God correctly should feel about a particular situation? It's my philosophy when looking at the Psalms, when writing out of the Psalms, that these Psalms represent all the different facets of human thinking and human emotion, but in a spiritually purified and elevated way. When he talks about depression, when he talks about um, uh, guilt, when David describes his conflicts with enemies, when he describes his moments of exaltation and his moments of, of elation because of a victory in his life, that his 
sanctified musings on these events or are really how we are supposed to mirror um, our emotions when we encounter these same scenarios in life. Here, David is filled with joy, and that joy seems to be linked to God's unique blessings on him as a ruler of Israel, but even, even more so as a close follower of God. So back to this topic of presence, when we talk about God's presence, what do we mean? I think what we imply is that we often don't feel God's presence. We don't sense God's presence until we are in the company of other people of faith, particularly when we are gathered to worship God. That's when we feel as though God is present. Perhaps we're singing songs and we get to the second or third song in worship and and in our services, we suddenly feel as though God is there. Now, there are some Christians who um, dismiss that feeling as being artificial. Uh, In fact, uh, I've heard pastors say, it doesn't matter what you feel in worship or in religious practice. What you do and what you decide about your beliefs is all that matters. But I would disagree with that, because if that's the case, then 90% of the Psalms, which are not particularly doctrinal and are not really um, conveying to us commands for Christian living, or in that case, Hebrew living, these don't seem to be devoid of of the power of feeling, emotion. Uh, We are emotional beings. We are wired to feel things. And therefore, though we cannot always dictate how we feel, the way we feel, I really believe, can be aligned by meditation, by prayer, by worship, with the way that we are supposed to feel in a given situation. If we look at Jesus' life, we see a range of emotions. Jesus is not stoic, at least not in his personality. Uh, Jesus seems to talk at great length about his frustrations, about his concerns, uh, about even at the end of his life, his, his reservation uh, about enduring the pain of the cross. Jesus gets angry. Jesus seems excited. Jesus is impressed with people's faith. Jesus is joyful. He seems to experience the whole range of emotions that we experience as human beings. So to say that emotion is on the periphery of spiritual growth and spiritual experience, and especially to say that emotion is on the periphery of, of a worship experience, I think sell short the full experience of God and his spiritual kingdom as it touches each part of our lives, body, uh, our minds, our, our emotional centers. All of these are to be affected by the Holy Spirit as he expresses God's kingdom to us in our own lives. So David finds gladness in the joy of God's presence. So why don't we always experience or feel God's presence in a way that brings us joy? Uh, I know people who go to worship and often feel sad when they go in and when they leave uh, a place of worship. Uh, People who uh, have a great difficulty worshiping with other believers because of uh, the sadness it brings them. And I think that has more to do with the presence of other things in their life. They have um, grief. They have resentments. They have um, bitterness. They have uh, unmended relationships with other people in their community of faith. And I think that this can often lead to um, a limitation of God's presence in worship. 
But more than that, we are to feel God's presence all the time, and that's not something a lot of us can claim. Even those of us who who try to follow God devoutly, who try to read the scriptures carefully, who try to live out uh, the teachings of scripture and the teachings of ministers and pastors and preachers and worship leaders and 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 scholars of faith. So I think the first thing to do is to recognize that God's presence is always available to some extent. I don't think God disappears when we feel like he disappears. But I also know that, I, that God expresses himself to us in different ways. I think sometimes we want to experience God's presence only when we're alone, when he might be pushing us into a situation where we experience God's presence through a relationship, even a, even a broken relationship or relationship which is struggling, where there is tension and unresolved conflict. We want to experience God in a happy place, but don't realize that he might be drawing us into his presence in an uncomfortable place. Remember in Psalm 23, when David talks about God uh, um, um, seating him among enemies and how David was to be reassured that God was there with him, even in the midst of enemies, God was blessing him, shoring him up and protecting him. I think he is often most present when we are at most at rest in him. And that might be why we don't feel the joy and the gladness that, uh, like a chemical reaction, okay, comes out of being around God's presence. When we feel his presence, when we experience it in a truly spiritual way, it cannot help but bring joy and gladness because it, it, it is what we were made for. In the Garden of Eden, that description from Genesis talks about Adam and Eve walking and fellowshipping with God. And First John, John the Apostle says, our fellowship is not just with each other, it's with God. We each, by fellowshipping with God, enjoy a richer fellowship with each other. Just like you might have a friend who, when he or she is present with you and your other buddies, you all have a greater time with each other. That friend enhances the fellowship among everyone else. So without God's presence, we can't truly enjoy each other as believers in Christ. Nor can we really, I think, enjoy God's presence without allowing space for his presence by being perceptive to the spiritual command to rest to quiet our hearts, to clear the the clutter uh, from our minds and from our hearts, the anxiety, the bitterness, the resentment, to confess these things and to open up ourselves to the way God manifests his presence. And I think that if that becomes the pattern of our life, to rest, uh, particularly through a Sabbath experience, but also through daily rest, through quiet moments, through reflection, through meditation, we will gradually cultivate an awareness of God's universal presence, something that David had learned to do even before God's Holy Spirit had come to indwell his people individually. David knew that God was present and it had definitely experienced God's presence in a powerful way. Now, on to the other topic, which we'll deal with in greater treatment when we get to uh, the more difficult psalms, the psalms where David calls down punishment on his enemies. He does it briefly here at the end of the psalm, even though it's a triumphant one. He does invite God to work against his enemies. I believe that David's confidence here that God will vanquish his enemies comes from his experience of God's divine presence in a universal sense, but also in his own personal feelings and his own personal experiences. But remember, David saw God's destruction of the enemies of Israel and the enemies of David personally, the truly evil enemies that faced him, as an expression of God's glory. But in David's own life, David really saw God expressing his glory and love to David by uh, vanquishing enemies. 
David in his personal life was not a very vengeful person. He's known for not taking revenge. And yet he does want God to demonstrate his presence and power in his life by destroying his enemies. So is it ever acceptable to ask God to punish people who are harsh to us? I think it is acceptable, but only under a certain circumstance. But I'm going to save that for another time because I want to wrap up this podcast today. Thanks so much for listening and practice with me God's presence, as Brother Lawrence said in the uh, uh, many, many hundreds of years ago. We practice God's presence in our daily life, and that is what touches all our experiences, whether mundane or whether unique and special, and makes them all somehow more beautiful, more glad, more joyful, more meaningful. As always, you can uh, comment on things I've said, uh, either by email, psalmsketches at gmail.com, or uh, through Twitter at psalmsketches. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you soon.